welcome to the second season of our triune pod we are still preparing you to praise join me the reverend nick comiskey and the reverend bendy hart for a conversation about low-key theology lived experience and often unrelated pop culture as we break down one of the psalms we hope it's an inspiring maybe a bit irreverent but mostly helpful way to get you ready for some god time Welcome to a very, very special episode of our Triune Pod, where we talk about the lectionary, we talk about the Bible, and we talk about weddings. Ben DeHart, how are you, man? I'm good, man. Speaking of weddings, just happened. Join the club. We're like 72 hours removed from the (laughs) most important day of your life. Yeah. The only way this pod could be more special is if we recorded directly, like during the reception. That yeah. would have been. That was thrown special. out there as a possibility by uh, your friend Tommy. No, shouts Tommy. Oh, did Just he? kidding. No, 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 no. But that would be amazing. Uh, Tommy Kitzmiller, thanks for being amazing about everything. <laughs> so, dude, what? Um, I think maybe we'll we'll throw some photos up on the uh, on the Instagram to accompany the release of this episode. So maybe we'll give people a feel for like the reception and everything. But like, what was your favorite moment of the of that day? Honestly, I can't even tell jokes. It was awesome. The, the service was perfect. Um, Camel, our lead musician at Calvary St. George's crushed it. Chelsea, my now wife, her sister sang her heart out, got a standing ovation. Uh, my friend Chloe, I didn't know she could sing well, and she gave like Nora Jones vibes. Actually, Dude, Chloe that's a that's a great stage. that's a great comp. Actually, Nora Jones, yeah, that's good. Yeah, so it was. I mean, the service itself. My my nephews were super cute. The flower girls were ridiculous. Um, the sermon I thought was solid. So overall, I mean, that that was the part that probably mattered most to me. And you know, when you're putting together a wedding in three months, you're worried like. Do we forget anything? Is it going to come together? But I love that time in the chapel for the initial part of the reception. My brother's toast was great. I mean, I mean, if there was any kind of thorn, I wish we would have got the music and dancing going a little earlier. But I mean, minor, minor thorn. Yeah. Every rose. What did you think? What's every that to you? Every rose has its thorn, Ben. <laughs> no, I mean, it was just, it was like a morning wedding. So like, I just don't feel like the, the, dan- the dancing was wonderful. And it was like appropriate yeah. for the time. It, was, it wasn't at 11 p.m., you know, so. Yeah, yeah. Um, and like we had kids there. So it was never totally. going to be like, yeah. like gangster rap vibes. But yeah. Uh, yeah, it was great. Yeah, more Dance with mama. She's happy. <laughs> that was so sweet. Yeah, it was fun seeing your brothers and everything. Um, it was just, it was a wonderful celebration. Uh, Chelsea is so cool and it was like a wonderful celebration of her and of course a celebration of you uh and it was it was fun seeing you and her so so loved by so many people that was my favorite part yeah that's probably the number one thing i just felt loved by everyone and it's one of those things where you kind of wish you could spread it all out like i could have a couple hours with this person that person but it's all in six hours so it ends up feeling like the end of a church service when you're a minister at the back and you're shaking hands and you know whatever that goes for like 20 minutes but this was like six seven hours of that so people whom i love but it's you can't really go very deep because you've got to kind of talk to everybody but the after reception part on the roof 
uh, with like, you know, the bridesmaids, the groomsmen, my, my, my good friends that I really felt like I could just be, could have really great conversations. It was awesome. Even, you know, I have people who are like a little too drunk, but I mean, what's a party without that? Uh, listeners, that was not me. As a matter of fact, <laughs> I just want, I just want everyone to know. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, that's cool, man. It was, it was such a fun day. It was something I had circled for a while and it lives up to the bill. Yeah. All right. Well, enough about me. Uh, Psalm 50, Nick, read it. And, uh, you know, I haven't had that much time to look at it. Oh, I'm on my honeymoon yeah. and the pod at the same time. So no way, go. man. Yeah. All right. So it's Psalm 50. It's a selection of Psalm 50 and, uh, it goes like this. The Lord, the God of gods has spoken. He has called the earth from the rising of the sun to its setting. Out of Zion, perfect in its beauty, God reveals himself in glory. Our God will come and will not keep silence. Before him, there is a consuming flame, and round about him a raging storm. He calls the heavens from the earth above to witness the judgment of his people. Gather before me my loyal followers those who have made a covenant with me and sealed it with sacrifice. Let the heavens declare the rightness of his cause, for God himself is judge. Hear, O my people, and I will speak. O Israel, I will bear witness against you, for I am God, your God. I do not accuse you because of your sacrifices. Your offerings are always before me. Consider this well, you who forget God, lest I rend you and there be none to deliver you. Whoever offers me the sacrifice of thanksgiving offers, uh, honors me. But to those who keep in my way will I show the salvation of God. Awesome. Yeah, Nick, yes. what do you think? <laughs> well, uh, I think you, so this Psalm of which we just get a selection, but I, you, the first six, seven verses kind of set the scene. I think this Psalm is a liturgical performance. You might say of a, a famous passage from first Peter or something where it says that judgment begins with the household of God. The psalmist picture God as the judge of the earth frequently as the king of the earth, one who will return and judge the world in righteousness and truth. And that's all good. I think the focus of this Psalm, however, is on the way that God judges those who have made a covenant with him through sacrifice, those who are, who belong to him in a special way by virtue of, of God's grace. So this is a Psalm that is performing as it were a judgment of the people of God. And um, can I, can I just talk a little bit about the structure and then we could, I could get your response, Ben. Is that yeah. fair? Okay. So again, we have just a brief selection here in the uh, prayer book, but the Psalm as a whole contains 23 verses and there's four main sections. There's the introduction. That's most of what we get in the reading. And then we get a judgment speech, which is the majority of the Psalm. And, uh, and the, that judgment speech, you could break that up into two ways. There's a judgment of the people of God in the way that they worship and in the way that they behave or the way that they live. And then finally, there's this invitation at the end to not be judged. So four sections, introduction, judgment of worship, judgment of behavior, and then this conclusion, this offer of life. And the introduction, yeah. that's where we'll spend most of our time because that's where we have, that's what we get in the prayer book. But is this, it's this. Uh, what, what one commentator put it pretty well, it's the convening of a trial. 
And God is both the prosecutor and the judge. And he calls as witness heaven and earth. And then the defendants are the readers of this psalm, the people of God. So judge, prosecutor, witnesses, and defendant. And there's a lot of flowery language to depict that. But I think that's the, that's the setting of the psalm. Yeah. Do you think this is fair that God is both judge and prosecutor? <laughs> kidding. kidding. Um, uh, no, no. I, I, I find it to be very interesting. I, I think when you read just what we have here, which is what most people will do in churches this upcoming Sunday, you might get confused, right? Because you read the first eight verses and then you skip to verse 23 and 24. And the way verse eight ends is, I don't accuse you because of your sacrifices. Your offerings are always before me. And then verse 24, whoever offers me the sacrifice of thanksgiving honors me, but to those who keep in my way, I will show the salvation of God. So from this alone, you would think it's like one of those Psalms where it's like, uh, essentially, you know, I don't take any delight in your rituals, your offerings, your sacrifices. What I want is like you know, a pure heart or something. Uh, but as you made clear, this Psalm is holistic. It's talking about sacrifices, being, I guess, offered incorrectly. Yeah. And then also behavior being off the wall. Yeah. And I guess when we get from verse 23 is what we're supposed to kind of wrap up our section is like, oh, these people are forgetting God. We got to remember God. And it even seems like in verse 24, a bigger deal is made of keeping in the way of God's will. He'll show them salvation than ritual. But what you're saying, it's, it's, it's both. It's, yeah. Yeah, it's kind of hard. I mean, yeah, there's not a a one verse summary of the issue that if, if you believe the psalm is inspired, I suppose, uh, the issue that God has with his people's worship, because it's not an indictment of sacrifice as such, right? It's not like all of your sacrifices, all that I care about is your heart or something like that, you know, like we would think it's it, I think there is a, a givenness to is Israel's ritualistic worship that isn't necessarily the problem. I, I think if you surmise, if you read into some of the verses, I guess there's this sense that this is again conjecture, but I, I guess there's this sense that God needs or is dependent upon the sacrifices or worship of his people. It's almost as if human agency and the role of the worshiper is what is being underlined or emboldened in Israel's common life. And what this Psalm is saying is God does not need your sacrifice. You know, so verse nine, I have no need of a bull from your stall or of goats from your pens for every animal of the forest is mine and the cattle on a thousand hills. Um, if I were hungry, I would not tell you for the world is mine and all that is in it. Do I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? Bizarre language here. But I think that the, I think the idea is like, look, God, you know, to put it in our language, it's like, we worship for our good, not God's, you know, and we're not doing God any favors by coming into his courts with praise, right? Like, I, 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 I suppose that's the issue. Does that, does, does that hold water? Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, no, I think so. I mean, I mean, I guess that theological term that was contemporary would be like the freedom of God. God's not dependent upon us in any way. God is wholly good without us, but out of his great love, decides to create us and enjoy our company anyway. Yeah. Uh, and yet we're called to worship. Yeah. Like, I guess and, what, maybe another way of putting that is like, can you, does it feel true to life that there is this temptation in, in the human heart that would 
render worship something that we offer to God because like, because God needs it or because God, does that make sense? Like, can you imagine that this Psalm and the indictment of this Psalm would be anything that's relevant today? Yeah, no, that's a, that's a tough one. I mean, I think, I think most of us, when we think of our relationship with God, not like setting aside theology, but just like the way we totally. pray, the way we yeah, act, yeah, yeah. it's like, essentially I'm trying to like appease God or mm. I'm doing this because, you know, God will, will smile at me and, and give me what I need or even what I want. Yeah. Um, whereas, yeah, I mean, I don't really feel like most contemporaries are thinking that God God needs something from me. Right. Uh, but I guess if you read the scriptures, sometimes when your mind gets saturated with that, you might get lost in some of the humanizing of God or the anthropomorphisms of like, God is really pissed. God sounds like one of those lovers <laughs> who is not getting enough attention. Totally. Um, and I, I, I think the Bible has that in there for a reason. Like God is a jealous God. Yeah. God wants worship just for him. And then there are other parts of scripture that make it very clear, like, well, don't take these emperor, this humanizing of God too far. Uh, really, this is what you were created for. This is the good life, as you were kind of suggesting. Um, and even more than that, it's like, I got into a covenant with you. This is yeah. what we agreed to yeah. on some level. Uh, now, again, we're, we're talking a lot of old covenant language here. I think we can I mean, we could even talk about like the, the courtroom and trial, God being judge and prosecutor. That may not sound super fair, but then with Christ, God becomes the judge, judged in our place. Uh, so there, I think there's always a trajectory. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, we're going to get there for that. sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think there might be some, I mean, a one word you might use, I suppose, is formalism. Like, I guess if you could kind of domesticate God in such that like if you check the right boxes, liturgical or otherwise, you kind of have God squared away. And I think this psalm totally. would be an indictment on like, well, we serve a living God who doesn't need anything yeah. from us. <laughs> like he doesn't need to be self-actualized in our worship. So um, don't think that just simply by doing that, you've checked the right boxes. Okay, well, uh, let's- Yeah, uh, I mean, just like to unpack it a little further. It's like, and it used, I think you were saying this, but maybe I just got to say it the way. I'm thinking of, like, yeah, it's like, once you do those things, you have God under your control. Exactly. And yeah. this song seems to suggest that whether it's the right ritual or the right behavior, like, this has all been a free gift. God doesn't need it. And God is utterly free. God's going to yeah. do what God will. Yeah. Well, I mean, the, 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 the primary, uh, how, what's a good way to put that? Um, the, 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 the most important line in the psalm, let's put it very simply, um, uh, is is in our in the Bible. I mean, like in the NIV. I don't know, but like with the prayer book, but the is uh, verse twenty one, and it says this: God is speaking to Israel. When you did these things, and I kept silent, you thought I was exactly like you, but now I arraign you and set my accusations before you. But that notion, when you did these things, and I kept silent, you thought that I was exactly like you, whether it's conduct or worship, it's this kind of domestication of God where we kind of, it's the Feuerbach thing, you know, it's like we impute our ideal human characteristics into the heavens and say, this is what God is like. And this Psalm is bearing witness to the living God who is saying, 
that's not how this works. <laughs> right. Uh, I am, I am alive and I, um, and yeah, I will, I will sift wheat and chaff. Right. Um, and I think to your point about, um, Jesus, <laughs> the judge judge in our place, if this Psalm is all we had, yeah, it would be, um, yeah, it'd be it'd pretty scary. Be pretty. I mean, it would be pretty terrifying. I think the invitation of this Psalm strictly considered is to be, is to be accosted by the reality of God's presence and the, um, the givenness of, of God as a, as a living God who does not, who is not like us. Um, but obviously, you know, the judge, uh, in this Psalm is ultimately judged in our place for hypocritical worship. Uh, we could see a lot of that in the gospels and a major disparity between worship and conduct. It's another primary feature of the gospels. Yeah. Maybe another way to connect with today is I remember maybe this is just some people, but I, did, I did remember a friend growing up saying, oh yeah, I'm a Christian. I'm into Jesus. But like, it is for like, you know, if God's doing something for me, I'm into God when God's not like, you know, I'm not giving God or it's like, you know, Hey, you know, I give money. Uh, so I don't really have to show up or like, and I'm not saying you have to, uh, but I do think there's a very, there's still like, of a ubiquity of a popular relation to God among people where it's like, all right, well, I'm going to give my part and like expect God to give his part back. And, or I've done this, so I don't need to do that. Uh, but those of us who, not because we're any more righteous, but who are, you know, doing the ritual, going to church on Sunday, you know, at least I guess sort of trying to live the Christian life, et cetera. I feel like we're the ones who know most clearly just how we don't measure up. Uh, so when you read a text like this coming from someone who's like doing the ritual, trying to live a life, I feel like we're the, it's like almost like a law gospel thing. We're the ones who are like, oh God, we desperately yeah. need that judge, judge yeah. our place. Like no, there's no notion good. of like, oh, I'll do the, the I'll, I'll give money to the church and then I'm good. Yeah. Uh, it's like, well, no, <laughs> it's terrifying. Um, I, I, I remember Christian Wyman on a podcast, like he was being asked about his Christian faith and he was talking specifically about not why he's like, why he prays or why he like opens himself up to the divine, but like more sp like very specifically, like why he's like a Christian, like a religious person, basically. And he uses, you know, pretty simple analogy, but he was basically like, you know, you need some artifice to hold your spiritual life. Like you need a cup to fit the water, you know? And he was basically like, for me, like the Christian faith, like the, the rituals, the creeds, the sacraments, like it is a, there's this artifice in which I hold the, the, the real, the real juice, you know, which is like the, the spirit of the living God, you know, he didn't use that language, but like, that's how I interpreted it. Right. And I think what is such a tension, I think the Psalm speaks to it is like, I think we all know people. I can think of one person in particular who is like, just so insistent on the inadequacy of the, the cup, you know, basically just rails on religion and like a middle school sense of the word, you know, but like the, it, it, I think the tension of is we need the cup, but the cup is not the main thing, right? Like you yeah. need sacrifices because how else are you going to worship God? Like, you know, you don't just worship God in your heart. Like you need public communal action by which to reckon yeah. with the living God. Like you need sacrifices. But if you think sacrifices are the main thing, then you get Psalm 50. And it's like, you think I need these bulls and goats? You know what I'm saying? So I think uh, how to resolve, there's not a way to resolve that. I think this Psalm is a, you know, it's like the uh, 
thesis antithesis synthesis thing it's like this psalm is like a very good reminder of like yeah you need the cup but don't don't think that that in and of itself is enough you know that's good that's good i mean yeah there's no formless life but i i don't know how <laughs> you gotta have a little verb too yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah 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 so all right man you want to pray us out all right let's close that the lord the god of gods has spoken he has called the earth from the rising of the sun to its setting. Out of Zion, perfect in its beauty, God reveals himself in glory. Our God will come and will not keep silence. Before him there is a consuming flame and round about him is a raging storm. He calls the heavens and the earth from above to witness the judgment of his people. Gather before me my loyal followers, those who have made a covenant with me and sealed it with sacrifice. Let the heavens declare the rightness of his cause. For God himself is judge. Hear, O my people, and I will speak. O Israel, I will bear witness against you. For I am God, your God. I do not accuse you because of your sacrifices. Your offerings are always before me. Consider this well, you who forget God, lest I rend you and there be none to deliver you. Whoever offers me the sacrifice of thanksgiving honors me. But to those who keep in my way will I show the salvation of God. How about that episode of Our Trying Pod? Now that you've been prepped for praise, won't you do us a solid and subscribe and review? We promise to keep the outlandish illustrations coming. So be sure to join us for another episode of your absolute favorite podcast.